Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, it's Tuesday afternoon on the Chase Thomas podcast. I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined, as I am every single Tuesday, by the one, the only John Taylor of Fangraphs.com. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good. I'm done yawning now. I'm. I've got all the yawns out. Um, yeah, that's good, man. I'm not a big yawner. Not a big yawner. And I have to be careful with my yawning, John. This is uh, a real thing for me because I, uh, I have TMJ, bad case of it. A bad yawn can be disastrous for me. Yeah, I I can imagine. That's, uh, that's bad for the old mandibles. Yeah, I've locked my jaw in finals. I remember when I was an undergrad, I I literally yawned and locked, locked my jaw. Yeah, had to pop it to, uh to get it unclenched it's a it's a weird feeling sometimes like you hear like the the bone grating in my jaw when i'm chewing sometimes it's uh it's not not ideal um but that's why you no, wear that, rubber bands when you have braces that doesn't, folks. that doesn't sound like a particularly fun time no it's not the most fun it's not the most fun but um could be worse could be the 2021 minnesota twins john yeah i mean what about that? the? Tw- I mean, every everything about the twins is just kind of vaguely depressing at this point. It is. It they, is. they just it don't is. like. This is now the second year in the last like five where they we've all been like the twins are gonna be good, the twins are gonna be good, and then they're just a total disaster for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah, but, really uh, impressed. We're not gonna talk not- about the twins today. We've talked about the twins a lot on this podcast. It's bad. We'll see what happens this summer <clears throat> with their trade options and what they do there. I want to start on a positive note, John. The Astros' offense is historic. Carlos Correa just hitting hitting lights out. They should be considered the favorite, even with the A's chasing them in the AL West. What do you make of just how insane the Astros' offense has been this year, and did you expect it to be this dominant? No, I think in part because there are many, many, many questions as to what does this Astros team look like post-cheating scandal? And the answer we got last season was not great. And you could certainly chalk some of that up to the shortened season, to the uh, screwed-up spring training, to you know, to the pandemic itself. There are a lot of reasons that you know the, the Astros could have been bad last year, even leaving aside the whole they don't get to cheat anymore. Um, but I think that was the easiest one to land on, especially because you saw guys like Correa and Altuve who were whatever level of involvement they had. No one's going to know except for those guys themselves. But like to see those guys suddenly just struggle is very was very strange. But you look at what the Astros are doing now, and it's really similar to the way they succeeded before. They don't strike out and they make a ton of hard contact. And that's pretty much they make a ton of contact, period. But they also make a lot of hard contact. And that was pretty much the success for them or their their path to success when they won the World Series when you know, in the last few years and they're doing it again some of that obviously is like you mentioned Correa's having just a fantastic season it seems like he is fully healthy again uh, Altuve is back to if not his previous heights at the very least something far closer to it uh, Yuli Gurriel has rebounded Michael Brantley has rebounded uh, they're getting a full season out of Jordan Alvarez which is obviously huge Kyle Tucker has been very good for them so it doesn't seem to me like any kind of fluke necessarily. And, you know, for all we know, there's some dudes still banging on a trash can. And this is the unfortunate reality for the Astros and their fans that they're just never going to be free of that. Anytime this team is successful, anytime this team hits well, anytime this team does anything, 
that's immediately we're going to jump to. I mean, I want to I I wanted to start off by saying what's what's different with the Astros offense? They're cheating again. Like <laughs> it's just the easiest and laziest joke, but it's also like I mean, look, these are really talented hitters on this team. Correa, Brantley, uh, Bregman, Al- Altuve, Girl. These are all really good hitters. So the fact that they are hitting really well should not be particularly surprising, especially when they're all healthy with the exception of with the exception of Bregman right now who should be back in a few weeks. And they've all had a regular offseason. The season itself is normal. And I think maybe the Astros were just one of those teams that just because of the fact that a lot of these guys do tend to have a reputation as being these kind of very obsessive, kind of compulsive, maybe not compulsive, but, you know, a a lot of what they do is based on preparation, is based on video, is based on scouting and advance work that I think a lot of what existed last year between the disruption of the schedule, between MLB, uh, changing the rules on being able to watch replay and video in the in the dugout or at least enforcing them better i guess i I think this is more like not the astros have adjusted guys are healthy guys are refresh guys are feeling fresh and if that's the case i mean this is the thing like this team you look at you look at the astros last year really just kind of stands out as the fluke for them recently you know as, as the below 500 one i mean this is a team that won 101 games 103 games and 107 games the three seasons prior, and then was suddenly below 500. And of course, that's only over 60 games. I'm sure at some point, maybe I'd have to look, and I'm not going to do that look right, that looking right now because it's very difficult. You could probably find a similarly bad stretch in any of those previous Astros seasons. That's the other thing that may have just been a bad stretch. And it's also worth noting too that for as much as the offense struggled last year with guys like Gur- with guys like Altuve and Correa and Gurriel not performing. The other really big issue is that the pitching staff, or not the pitching staff, sorry, not the rotation, but the bullpen had a lot of injuries that just didn't have a lot of depth, and they do seem to be doing better in that regard this year, which also helps a lot. But yeah, I just think this is one of those teams, it's very clear that having the full season, having um, having the full season, having everything normal, I think is probably just a really big help to them, and you see because all their offensive performance has gone back to normal. Are they just going to let Correa walk after this year? Like, is that still still the plan? Um, he's I have almost, to imagine. Like, he's just forcing their hand too much. It's just like, I I don't know how, like, I understand just the line of thinking. George Springer's been hurt for most of this year for Toronto, so that's not looking as bad letting him walk. But, like, I don't know. I just, uh, are they, are they just letting their, their expensive guys, their guys who are about to be expensive that they developed into superstars just continue to walk like i don't i don't understand I, it's a good question and i don't know that i necessarily have an answer for that i think it's i think if nothing else like you let correa explore the market because next year as we all know there's going to be or next this coming winter rather it's going to be a bonanza of shortstops it's going to be correa it's going to be Corey seager it's going to be uh trevor story it's going to be you know there, there's a lot of options i guess that the astros have if that's the route they want to go I think there are two things you probably have to, or two things to keep in touch or to keep in mind. Sorry, with the Astros, the first thing is their contract situation. We already know they have long-term deals already already down for Altuve, for Bregman, for Lance McCullers. Uh, so that's three guys locked up long-term. They have a solid, hmm, let's see, ninety-some million committed to next year already, without counting Correa, and that's with losing. Just looking at their notable free agents, that would be losing. Uh, Granky and I guess technically speaking Verlander plus there's a vesting option for Ryan Presley that they may or may not have to deal with 
So they have some issues they need to fill there anyway. I think at the minimum they need to bring back bring back or bring in one starter, depending on how they feel about going forward with just the likes of Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia and McCullers and Jordan Al- and not sorry, not Jordan Alvarez, that'd be cool as hell. And only Paredes and the others. So there is I think there is some financial flexibility for them to bring Correa back. The other part of it is does this Astros team have the depth necessary if they wanted to replace Correa next year with someone internally, you know, assuming they also don't want to spend the money on Story or Seeger or whoever else. And I think that's a little tougher because um, prospect-wise, their best their best uh, excuse me, their best infield option is probably hmm. I'd say is I don't know the Astros system well enough to just pick someone off the top of my head. Hmm. But Jeremy Pena was their number one prospect coming into the season. He's a double A right he's a shortstop or middle infielder at least. He's a double A right now. He's currently hurt. So I think some of that's also going to depend on how he progresses and develops this offseason. If he if they feel like he's a guy that they're relatively comfortable with, you know, at least being an option. Maybe that makes letting Correa go easier. Uh, the other option, I guess, even further down would eventually be Freitas Nova, but that's still at least a couple years away, I would guess. So, and then, yeah, beyond, because I mean, beyond that, like, actually on the current Major League roster, options to replace uh, Correa, non-existent, really. You know, you're not really going to get away with what they have here. So, we'll see. I, I think more likely than not, they keep Correa just because... He's been with the franchise forever. He's a guy the fans seem to like. They, it's he's someone they know. He's someone they, I think they feel confident with. Assuming that the back problems that he's had are not chronic, which, hey, who knows? Because back problems seemingly are always chronic. But I, I think if nothing else, the the availability of other options on the market gives the Astros some room to see how things play out, especially over the rest of the season. You know, for all we know, Correa gets hurt or falls into a big slump for the rest of the season, and that decision becomes that much easier. Yeah, um, we'll we'll have to see. I I don't know how it'll ultimately go for them, but I think it would be just a weird look to move on. I just like that he's kind of forcing their hand here, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens because that dude's gonna get paid. He's gonna get the the long term financial security that uh, he's put himself in position for this year. So uh, teams are gonna be interested, and I think especially when you look at Seager's hand stuff, we'll have to see because it's not progressing well right now. Um, Seeger and Bellinger, I think, haven't even played together since, like, April. Um, and the Dodgers keep surviving, but we'll have to see how much longer that goes. Um, there was a trade today, John Taylor. A ground yes, shaker. Yes, it was. A very minor one. Well, it's Corey Dickerson. And Corey Dickerson, I believe, has played for a third of Major League Baseball teams at this point. But um, what do you make of this trade? It involves Joe Panic, old friend Joe Panic, going to the Marlins in the deal um what do you what do you make of dickerson's opportunity to flip uh some some struggles this year uh in miami and uh catching some fire with uh a young feisty offense in toronto i think honestly this is probably more about simber than it Mm. is about than it is about dickerson of one only because dickerson is hurt right now two because outfield wise uh Toronto's already pretty good. They've got they've got uh, Gritchick, Guriel, and Springer. And granted, that's not the most. Well, I think it's just as well as for Springer. And Chaos Fernandez floating around as well. Like it's just another um, piece. It's another piece. It's a backup piece. And Dickerson is almost certainly, especially given that uh, minus Springer, is almost certainly the best defensive outfielder of that remaining trio of Guriel, Gritchick, and 
uh, and Teoscar, so that does give them some defensive options. He gives them a left-handed bat, which is always useful off the bench. But I, I do think, for me, Simber is probably the piece, because that Blue Jays bullpen is an absolute mess right now. Uh, they just don't have enough good bodies in there, literally, to hold leads right now. It's been a big problem for them, is, is holding leads. Uh, they blew a couple against the Orioles that I think probably were a, a big push to make this happen, because I mean, great, they've had a lot of injuries, but you know, the likes of, of Tim Meza, or sorry, not Tim Meza, Anthony Castro and Trent Thornton and whoever Patrick Murphy. I mean, they've, they've just been pulling guys out that I imagine most people have never heard of before. So I, I think that's a big part of that is just how, and Simber's not a not a, a great reliever by any stretch, but he's been very good this year. He's not a big strikeout guy. He's mostly, a, a you know, with his bizarre motion and delivery and everything, he's mostly a... Uh, you could call him a Rugie, a righty specialist. I guess that's not really a thing anymore, but he's definitely a ground ball guy. He's definitely really good against right-handed hitters, so especially makes sense for the Blue Jays to face, for example, a very righty-heavy Yankees lineup or to be a guy who can pitch to the likes of Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez. I guess, you know, whatever big right-handed hitters exist in the Rays lineup that they won't pinch hit for, I guess Randy or Rosarena. But... Yeah, I think it's more about adding some bullpen. De- it's it's a depth move. It's it's adding some bullpen depth in the form of Simber. It's adding some outfield depth and some bench depth in the form of a useful veteran in Dickerson. And useful veterans like that are always good too for young teams uh, to bring that, especially a guy in Dickerson who I believe has some playoff experience, not a whole lot, but some somewhere in there. Um, has he actually have any playoff experience? Well, he was on the Rays, so we'll call it a yes. Uh, yeah, he's been to the postseason once. Actually, last year with the Marlins. So forget what I'm saying. But yeah, I, I think it's mostly about depth. I think the, the the other side of this is the blue is the Marlins, and they really like the only reason to do this trade was just to get rid of money. I don't mm-hmm. think they actually got Joe Panic is not useful in any by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> to anyone, and I don't believe they got any prospect or anything else in return except for some money. So, well, that's the Marlins for you. They literally just gave up two players for money. So. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think it's mostly about depth for England, or for England, jeez, um, sorry, Euro's on the brain right now, is depth for, it's depth for the uh, for the Blue Jays, and I think it's good depth, I think it's useful depth, and I think it's something, it's always good to make these moves now too, if you can, you know, any extra days you can have these guys as a help, and that bullpen really did need the help right now, but they, I think they do got to do more though, because it's, you know, Simber's a nice piece, and Dickerson's a nice piece, but I think this team still does need more, some rotation depth would be good, honestly, a a really good bullpen arm would also be really useful here, even though they, I know they are getting Julian Merriweather theoretically back at some point. Well, it's interesting you say that because um, I believe it came from fan sided's Robert Murray uh, the other day that the two teams that have been most aggressive in uh, searching for bullpen help uh, when surveyed across the league, one, the Toronto Blue Jays, two, the Atlanta Braves. That makes sense. Those are both teams that could really use, if not just bullpen help, but also depending how you feel about Will Smith and. Well, I think the thing with I think it's probably different in, in for each team. For the Braves, I think there's probably a feeling of is is Will Smith better suited in a setup role than he is to be a closer, you know, or do we feel comfortable with him as a closer, or do we just need a, a good? No, I think it's. I think I've talked myself out of it actually. Now it's it's the same for both sides. I think they just want one more high quality setup arm because. Especially in the Blue Jays' case, I do wonder if there's a desire to have Jordan Romano be more of a, a roving setup guy who can just put out fires as opposed to a set ninth inning guy. But, yeah, that makes sense for both teams. They both could use the bullpen depth, and I think they could both use one of those kind of high-tier relievers if such high-tier reliever is available. 
Well, that's the thing. It's like Kimbrel is the best option, but he's not going anywhere. And Kim no, I doubt, the was talking about... I doubt the Cubs are selling at this point. Unless unless things go really haywire over the next two or three weeks, I doubt the Cubs are selling. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Braves might be selling. Like, we're entering a very, very important 12-game stretch for the Braves, starting with the Mets tonight. Um, and we'll see what happens there. But we're about to get in that territory where teams have to, like, they're going to be in a difficult part of their schedule where they, we are halfway done and we got to figure out, all right, what are we? Um, but you look at the Cubs and Rosenthal said that they are going to go for it. They're going to not do any bad faith um, decisions and just uh, put the middle finger up at David Ross and this group for uh, succeeding when they were planning on not succeeding uh, this season. So I think they're going to do that. And also Kimbrel has an interesting uh, contract situation where he has an op, the, the team has an option for him next year. So there is a, there, it's just almost in, uh, impossible to see a scenario where the Cubs move on from Kimbrel and they'll probably pick up his option and maybe move him next summer. But you have Brad Hand, you have Daniel Hudson on the market, um, Rizal Iglesias, Angels not doing anything. I think Richard Rodriguez is the most appetizing to me of the group. Uh, we know the, the Pirates are going to be looking to offload more money. Um, and then also the Texas Rangers older pitcher rehab program has Ian Kennedy sitting there that I like. And then the Mariners, who we'll talk about in a second, Kendall Graveman becoming the the closer there and, and uh, usurping Montero. So there are some guys, but it just seems unlikely that a lot of them end up moving. But of that list that was mentioned by Murray, I think uh, Rodriguez and maybe Kennedy uh, are the most interesting to me. Yeah, and that's not a great haul. Like, <laughs> like I guess that's the thing. Barring something weird in the next three weeks, there is not going to be that. Um, there's not going to be that elite closer available on the market that guys are gonna, you know, it's gonna have to be bullpen depth pieces, and I think that works for Atlanta and Toronto so long as they identify the right guys. But that's always its own. That's always its own fun challenge, isn't it? Um, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see, but I, I I don't think there's anything out there for either team that is going to you know the, the, i don't think there's a there's a real like and maybe i'm wrong maybe i've missed someone but I, it doesn't seem like there's a real relief ace out there i think it's for these teams it's just about and i think that's why you saw toronto doing what they did is okay if there's no relief safe avail, relief ace available let's at least start building some depth with some useful guys like simber who are elite at one or two things but maybe not the whole package yeah um but you know we shall see. We shall see, John. Um, Max Muncie is back for the Dodgers. Seager, not back. Uh, what do you make of Muncie's return so far, and uh, how important is it for the Dodgers to get him back as they chase the chase the Giants down? I mean, super useful. He's been their best hitter the entirety of the season. I mean, the guy's got an OVP of, what, like 460 or something? Uh, 413. Okay, not that high, but... A 160, or 435 Woba, 164 Waiter Runs Created Plus, three wins above replacement, which I believe, I know he's missed some time, so he's no longer, I believe, qualified, but if he had enough, no, he's still qualified. He's, that's 11th in the majors in, in Fangraph's war uh, right now, right behind Marcus Semyon. So very important. He's he's become a foundational piece of their offense. I mean, if you were to ask, like, who is the most important part of the Dodgers offense, I think the answer is probably Mookie Betts or Cody Bellinger, just because they haven't they can impact the game in so many different ways. And particularly offensively, you know, they both bring power and speed and for Mookie contact, I guess not so much for Bellinger. And they're both on base machines. 
But Muncie really does help, especially in the, 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 toward the top of that order because of that combination of power and OBP. He's just constantly on base. He's always a threat to go deep. And he also does help solve the fact that first base-wise for the Dodgers, I, I mean, I think that's the thing, you know, because you saw over the course of his absence, you know, they had to play Pujols. They were playing a fair amount of Matt Beatty. You know, there's this is just a better team, obviously, with with Max Muncie on it. But it's especially a better team given the position. And it's weird, like National League first basemen have been kind of a mess this season. Um, it's really not been a position of strength for anyone. But then you look at the particular numbers for the Dodgers, and I'm going to leave out, there, there are three guys who have taken the majority of the late appearances of first base who are not Max Muncy. Matt Beatty, Albert Pujols, and Edwin Rios. Rios is, Rios is gone, obviously he's hurt. But Beatty and Pujols is not what you want at that position. You know, Muncy makes things easier there. Not to mention he also has the relative positional versatility. They can float around a bit. He can... You know, you're more. I think you're more comfortable with him in the shift or playing at other positions, certainly than you would be with Pujols and probably with with Beatty as well. So, yeah, I think it's it's very important to have him to have him back, and I think that's, yeah, I, I think it's a big it's a it's a big as if as if LA needs more advantages, but I think that's it's a really big ad- addition for the Dodgers to get to get Muncie back. Can we uh, talk about today in baseball history, John? Yes, we can. So there's a great website called nationalpastime.com. Do you do you frequent it at all? No, I do not. Okay. Go ahead and add it to your bookmark. You'll thank me later. But it's everything that happened from like 1855 on, um, on this particular day in baseball history. It's great. From today, I want this to be a recurring segment, today in baseball history. The Boise Hawks suspend manager Mal Finchman for one game for returning to the field after being ejected in the sixth inning, disguised as the team's mascot, Humphrey the Hawk, the feathery imposter, gives instructions to his team for the remainder of the Northwest League contest against Salem. Incredible. We need more of this. Coming back yes, in the I mascot. Would, I, would, I would love to see that. Ha- if that happens, if that ever happened in an actual <laughs> Major League Baseball, I would die for starters. But yes, we, we, we need to see this happen. I, I'm all for when managers get thrown out, like the Bobby Valentine mustache thing. Just go nuts. Like, if you're getting ejected, get your money's worth. And then something like that is definitely getting your money's worth. What are they going to do? Suspend you? No. Exactly. Yeah, what are they, yeah, are they going to eject you again? <laughs> You've already been ejected. They can't eject you twice. It's like double, it's like double jeopardy. It's, you, you, can't get, you can't get hit for it twice. Mm. What is your favorite minor league uh, team name right now? I don't I don't know enough of the team names, so I, I can't pick one for sure. I know that there was a team at one point, and I don't know if there still are, but that was called the Sod Poodles, mm. which is another term for, I believe, a groundhog. Um, but they just wanted to call it themselves the Sod Poodles, which... I think there's a I, Charleston uh, Disco Turkeys right now. I'm pretty sure. There's a team called the Disco Turkeys. Okay, what does that mean? I don't know. I think it, it literally, the, the graphic is a turkey dancing to disco. Okay. That makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> I hate to say it to the, the great city of Charleston, which I assume I don't actually know. I've I've never been to Charleston. Never been to Charleston. No, I mean I've 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 been to very few places in the South. The South is one of those American regions I really yes. have not had much of a chance to visit. Well, I mean, you have a friend down here. Oh, it's Winston Salem, excuse me. Winston, Winston Salem. Salem. Okay. Yeah. So still well North no, Carolina. Part of the, one North Carolina. Yeah. Different Carolina. The other Carolina. The other Carolina. 
Um, but yeah, then you have Gwinnett, the Stripers. We got uh, who, is, who would which which state would be more offended if you referred to them as the other Carolina, North or South? Uh, North. Okay, that's what I say. Fig- Carolina, most people assume you're talking about North Carolina. That, that's what I figured. So I figured they'd be the most uh, like huffy about. Uh, uh-uh, uh, we're the we're Carolina. That yeah. other one is. Yeah, other. they're the one. They're more proud of the Carolina name. Like you got uh, when you're in South Carolina, it's more of like South Carolina, North Florida, South Georgia. They're on like this similar camp. North Carolina is its own thing. North Carolina yeah. is just you get the mountains. It's a very different. Uh, when you think of Carolina and Blue Ridge, and you think about just that area. North Carolina fits more. South Carolina is just like Florida Jace to me. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think once you get to South Carolina, that whole South Carolina, Georgia, Florida kind of blob of real deep fried southernness. Mm, be careful, John. Okay, well, I'm just I'm just saying, man, like my, my one experience with the South is Florida and Florida ain't the South, or at least the part of Florida I was in ain't the South. North Florida is absolutely the South. North Florida, definitely the South. Uh the the redneck riviera that is the gulf coast one million percent the south mm-hmm. miami not the south no no miami is miami miami is a different thing entirely yeah jacksonville totally tallahassee different. gainesville those are all still um the south um, i think once you get to tampa and orlando it starts to uh, stray away from the south um neil payne friend of the pod um of 538 does a great job over there he had a really good piece on the seattle mariners who no one's really talking about right now but uh i think they would be like are they ahead of the yankees right now if the playoffs started today am i misremembering that the which team the mariners they're up on the yankees right now in the winter are they oh man that would be very very funny if true um i have i don't that's the thing i i usually don't pay attention to any kind of standings until at least like august one just because there's well not like Obviously, but like wild card standings, just because there's no. But yes, as of right now, the Mariners are half a game ahead of the Yankees in the wild card race. Incredible. No one saw this coming. They are, as Neil points out in the piece, 18 and seven in one run games, meaning they're 23 and 31 in all other contests. Yes, they have a negative 43 <laughs> run differential, and somehow they're above 500. It, it makes no. It, it makes sense only insofar as that that they have had. They've been very lucky and good in one run games, and they've been the Mariners and everything else. So no team has exceeded its Pythagorean uh, expectation more than Seattle so far this season. In fact, as Neil points out, Seattle has the 20th largest gap between its actual and Pythagorean winning percentages through the first 79 games of a season by any team since 1969, 69. Nice. That's pretty, it's a pretty, that's a pretty long time. That's a pretty, uh, that's not great. That's not what you want to see. But if you're a Mariners fan, like, th- you know what's weird is they were doing this last year, too. Like, they were flirting with the postseason. They were out hitting things. You had Kyle Lewis win Rookie of the Year. You you were looking good. You were you were showing some optimism. Jerry DePoto uh, was, was seeing some things. And obviously the wheels came off and they didn't make the playoffs. But they do have the longest postseason drought in Major League Baseball. Um, and... They flirted with this like every other year, it seems like. So, like, do you think this is sustainable? Do you think that they, if you had to guess right now, it is late June, almost July, John. Mm-hmm. Are the Mariners still in striking distance of a wild card game? Let's say striking distance is five games or less come late September. No, not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. I'm sorry. I mean, like, I don't want to be so, like, blunt and dismissive, especially since Mariners fans have suffered enough. But no, it's not a good team. It's just not a good team. 
Well, what like also said, is it's... interesting is, as he points out, because like if you wanted to make the case before the season, we were talking with the Mariners, like the all the things that you would point to have not happened. They've gone the other way. Like Paxton was a hey, let's see what happens. Gone after mm-hmm. one start. Sheffield awful, didn't go well. Um, Kyle Lewis hurt. Gonzalez awful. Like you just look at it, Seager having one of the worst seasons of his career. Like yeah, and on, and on top of that, like. The guy who was supposed to make, be the savior of their season, Jared Kalenic, was so bad they had to send him back down. So, no, I mean, yeah, they are succeeding based entirely on their pitching because you say Kikuchi looks good because Chris Flexen has been league average, because the injured Justin Dunn has been fine, Logan Gilbert is fine, and because, as you know, they have Kendall Graveman in the bullpen who's really made a huge difference. But there's there's not enough offense on this team to do anything. There's not enough pitching depth on this team to do anything. There's not enough. There's just not enough here. Mm-hmm. And this is what kind of like I don't understand this with the Mariners. I know we've we've talked about this with the Mariners before. How are they still here at this particular point where they're a f- couple games above 500, totally like as, as a total like mirage. Everyone is convinced, and I think rightfully so, that they're not going to make the playoffs. That they're not a real contender. That their best bet is sneaking in as the second wild card with like. How would they even? Especially that's the other thing. Look at look at the standings right now. Look at the teams who would be in the running for the wild card, which would be Boston, New York, Toronto, uh, Oakland, or one of Oakland or Houston. One of I guess Tampa Bay is also in there. Cleveland, I guess. Who I think I like Cleveland more than I like Seattle at this point. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of teams ahead of them, and can you convincingly make a case that the Mariners are a better team beyond record than? The Rays, Blue Jays, Yankees, Cleveland, and A's. No. No. And that's the thing. There, there are way too many teams in front of them who are just flat out better. But I think the thing with the Mariners is why isn't this team moving in any particular direction? Why are they just kind of spinning their wheels as this 500, 500 at best team that can't hit? That has just been their thing for the last forever, it feels 20 like. 20 years? <laughs> like Jerry Since DePoto A-Rod left. Jerry DePoto's been in charge of this team for how long? Six years? Seven years? Has it been that long? When did he... It's been a long time. Zudinglik. How do we pronounce it? The old guy? Jack Z? I don't know. Oh, Zurinchik? Zurinchik? I don't even remember. Jack Z. It was always the frog. That's what I'm saying. It was Z. I just remember him as Jack Z. I don't remember actually how to pronounce his last name. But yeah, no. That feels like forever ago. And it's just been him and DePoto, right? Yes, that's it. And I understand, too, that, you know, obviously they've got Kalenic, they've got Julio Rodriguez, you know, they're, they've got Gilbert, they've got Emerson Hancock. There are prospects on this farm system who are worth it or who are worth something because this is ultimately, like, not a bad one. Mm-hmm. But it has taken so long to get here. And yet still, at the major league level, um, you're not really seeing any of that production yet. You're not really, like... Aside from Lewis when he's healthy, which has been vanishingly thin for the majority of his career, which is a shame, and the moderate success story that is J.P. Crawford going from total bust to second division starter, what else, like youth-wise, in terms of in terms of a, like set position players, does this Mariners team have going for it? I mean, J.P. Crawford's a win for them, I think. I think he's he's a mild win. This dude was one like of the top it, prospects like he's in not baseball an MVP when he candidate, was, but he's not not an MVP candidate. He's useful. The thing is, his usefulness is limited because he's pretty limited offensively. He has no power to speak of. He's pretty much a contact guy because he also doesn't walk that much. 
defensively he's great, but that's your what you've basically like, JP Crawford has basically become Willie Adamez. Mm. Okay, great. So you're you're the Mariners. You have a younger Willie Adamez. Mm-hmm. You have Ty France, who's a useful multi-position guy, but not doesn't seem like a whole lot else. You have Kyle Lewis, who can't stay healthy. You have maybe a decent like you have a good catch. You have a, a Taylor Trammell who doesn't know how to make contact and strikes out all the time. You have Shed Long who doesn't have a defensive position and doesn't really fit anywhere. You have Justice Sheffield who's been terrible. You have Justin Dunn who's been fine. You have, I mean, again, there are good prospects. I, I forgot Cal Rowley too who might be the the next catcher that they try to fill a position that really hasn't functioned in Seattle for like 20 years. I can't remember the last good Mariners catcher. I want to say Kenji Jojima, but that's not true. I just like that name and it just stuck in my head. Good old Kenji Jojima. But all all the like the, the Mariners future tarot up to these days. The the Mariners future is good, but it's just wild to me that it has been as many years as it has under the Jerry Depoto tr- like treadmill plan <laughs> and yet they've only the the best develop the best player development they can speak of at the major league level so far is J.P. Crawford being a slightly above above league average hitter. Mm. That's not much. Like they really ha- like. I get it. Again, Kalenic, Rodriguez, those guys are young. They needed time, but like the major league roster right now for the Seattle Mariners is not in a position to contend. But this is why I would love like a really great piece by. I mean, uh, at you, Fangrass has a bunch of prospect great writers like Langerhans and everything else. Um, I would love a piece explaining why it the Astros make it look so easy and the Mariners make it look so hard. Like, I, I, has anyone been able to, to just figure this out? Why? I mean, without without being able to tell you anything about like it's that is such a team specific like player development and stats. I would just thing love for them to explain it to me. Explain it to me like I'm yeah. five. Like why I, why I is it so hard for them? I would love to know why it is some teams are better at this than others beyond just they are smarter or whatever or yeah. they have whatever you know whatever it is because I would really love to know why it is that the Mariners just are what I mean I know the farm system was not good before in the last few years they have had to take time to rebuild it. But they've made a lot of trades in that time, and they just mm. have not landed on anything so far at the major league level. Aside a few, if you want to look at this Mariners roster and think to yourself, in three years' time, who are the guys on this team right now who are going to be part of a good contending Mariners team? And I think it's Seager. It's I know. I mean, Seager's already thirty-three. I, I, I he's think not going anywhere though. You got to keep. Free, he, but he's a, I believe he's a free agent at the end of the year. Finally, I think his contract Seager, is finally right? up. Mm. Um, uh, Crawford. Back I am correct. He has a he has a team option for next year that's almost certainly going to get bought out. But you know, it's maybe it, right now it's France, mm-hmm. Crawford, Lewis, Lewis if he's healthy, maybe Luis Torrens, but who seems to be entirely like just carried entirely on what little. It's not going to be Taylor Trammell, I don't think. I mean, he's at least there, but th- that's the thing. Like any one of these guys, you look at and go, but that's not a foundational piece. Mm. Those are just nice kind of – not even nice. Those are just complementary pieces, and they're not even particularly good ones right now. That's what I've kind of felt like for as good as the Mariners farm system is, they haven't made the moves to build any kind of – there's no young anything in place here with the exception of a few guys who are quite flawed. So I don't know. I, I don't get the Mariners at all. I continue to just be baffled by the way they've done things, which is to say they've just been weirdly cheap. 
um, just waiting, I think, for this point to happen where these young guys to get here. But it's like, okay, they're going to get here, great. But if, one, they struggle, or two, there's not enough of a supporting cast around them, they're going to get wasted just the same way everyone else did. So, Go Mariners. Go Mariners. I know. I, every, I feel bad because any Mariners fan listening, it's like, I don't want to make Mariners fans feel bad, but like... Yeah, it's it's just hard to feel good about the Mariners. They don't ever really do anything that makes you feel good. They just do things that make you confused. <laughs> oh man, that is uh, that is brutal, brutal, John. Um, yeah. MLB.com uh, pointed out <sighs> the White Sox. This was as of June 24th. I had this in my notes just in my daily reading from a couple days ago. Um, the White Sox are 38 at, they were at this point, 38 and 9 when home ring this season. When you watch the White Sox. Yes. Is it, is it that simple? Like uh, when you watch them, is it just like, oh, dinger, done. They, they got this. Or do you think this offense is not sustainable? Uh, I mean,. I don't know. I I think I feel good about the White Sox generally. I know we we've, we've I feel like we've gone just back and forth and back and forth about whether or not the White Sox are actually good just because they keep having bad things happen to them. But I don't know. I mean, when you've got Yohan Moncada running a 400 on base percentage and Yasmani Grandal with the 389 on I mean, I guess that's the only thing is like they're offensively they're they're in a problem spot right now because they've lost Madrigal, they've lost Robert, they've lost Eloy Jimenez. Yermin Mercedes is slumping. Jose Abreu is hurt. A lot of their depth has been hurt. They really, and I, I, one thing I don't particularly understand about the White Sox, I know that there's been rumors going around for a few days now that they're they're on they're talking about Eduardo Escobar with the Diamondbacks, and that's certainly not a move that's gonna like, you know, make a huge difference one way or the other. I imagine Escobar's probably worth maybe half a win to a win over the rest of the season, but why haven't they just made that deal already? Why haven't they just gotten help already? Their infield right now is, well, not in right now, but they're playing Andrew Vaughn on a regular basis by the fact he's a below-league average hitter. They're playing Danny Mendick and Jake Lamb and Brian Goodwin. I mean, and Goodwin and Lamb have been useful and good, but, like, these aren't guys you really want to rely on. Like, you know, there's, like, I, I, I don't get why the White Sox haven't done more yet to boost that offense or at least add some depth while they still can't like why are you quibbling over what to trade for eduardo escobar it's eduardo escobar just give whatever the diamondbacks want which i'm sure is probably just you know the corpse of zach collins who isn't all that useful anyway like just give them just get it like why why is this team so stingy with this stuff this they have half a lineup right now and yet they're still not making reinforcements or additions like I get it. Like, you want to wait until as close to the deadline as you can because you want to try to get the best price possible and you want blah, blah. Just get someone now. You need someone now. You need someone now. Cleveland is only two games behind uh, Chicago in the division, which I, I don't understand how Cleveland is not dead. They're, they have the tenacity of, of a damn cockroach. But you, you need to boost your position now because the Central, for as much as we all thought once the Twins started struggling, this is going to be a cakewalk for Chicago. It's not going away that easy, and I think it behooves you to make a move sooner rather than later because, I mean, like I said, how long do you want to rely on an offense that is currently entirely Tim Anderson, Yoan Moncada, and Yasmani Grandal with Abreu available when he's healthy? Like, that's not really, like, that's not something you can rely on. That's not sustainable. That needs help. 
And Eduardo Escobar doesn't fix anything by any stretch of the imagination, but he at least helps. He's more help than than Danny Mendick is, or than than Lurie. Gar- well, I guess Lurie Garcia has multi-position. Yeah, Lurie Garcia is not particularly good anyway. You know, he he has help, especially when that White Sox team doesn't really have much depth below, or below. They don't have much depth in the minors anyway to help right now. And the guys they've lost aren't coming back. This isn't something where it's like, oh, we just got to wait it out, and two weeks we'll have Nick Madrigal back and Robert. It's like no, those guys are all gone. The only guy you're getting back is Adam Eaton, and that's not useful either. At, Eaton is long past dead, and I still I still think that in terms of opportunity cost, available uh, other available options, and just sheer kind of attempt to fix it, I think you can make a case that the White Sox signing Adam Eaton was at least one of the five worst moves of the offseason. Just because it was a complete waste of money and time on a guy who they should have known full po- like point blank was not going to be a, a productive player for them. They passed up a bunch of other useful options. But yeah, th- this is something where it's like I, the, the, the White Sox, I think, need to do more. And they're a team that should really already be making moves offensively in terms of, in terms of getting help. I, I don't know why it has taken them this long to do something. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what they do. I think that they're going to be a little bit more active than we, than we might imagine. But um, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, John, the last thing I wanted to uh, – this is a two-parter. Very quickly, John. Do you count the Cubs combined no hitter as a no hitter? Yeah, it's a no hitter. It's not nine innings played and no hit, no hits no. Are reported. It's, it's a no hitter. No. How is it not a no hitter? It's not a no hitter. How is it not a no hitter? It's not a no hitter. No hitter always meant one pitcher, the entire game. That was it. It was nah. implied that it was one. All right, pitcher. What about what about that Astros combined no hitter against the Yankees from like twenty years ago? Also a no hitter. I mean, also How is not. It not a a, it's not a no hitter. They got they were no hits were recorded over nine innings. Doesn't matter. How does that not matter? That's the definition of a no hitter. No, you at like we attribute it to individuals. Like that is an individual stat. Okay, but I I understand that the traditional no hitter is one pitcher doing the whole thing alone. But you got it. We're not going to see that anymore. Well, then guess we're, what? We're no hitters are gone. One of those, we, I know we've got a bunch of them already, but ordinarily we're only supposed to get like a handful of those a year. And one pitcher doing it nowadays is you're maybe getting two of those. Well, I mean, I think Jacob DeGrom could get one every other week if he wanted to, but he's just... Pedro Martinez never threw a no-hitter, and Pedro Martinez is the best pitcher I've ever seen in my life. Mm. I mean, it, that's the thing. No-hitters are flukes by by design. Like, n- a hit not go, not not happening is not is as much out of the pitcher's control as it is in the pitcher's control. Like, it, it's not something that they can... You know, no one can go out there and just say, I'm going to throw a no-hitter today, except, again, maybe Jacob DeGrom. But it's a fluke. And so in that mind, it's like if it's if it's a fluke, no matter if it's one pitcher or six, and what's the difference really? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's no hits are record. The 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 definition of a no hitter is a team records no hits over an over an official complete nine inning game. So that was a no hitter. I disagree with the the rule. And as the the sports arbiter on this great planet, I have <laughs> ruled against the combined no hitter. Ruled against it. Just call it a a shutout. Is what I would call it call it a shutout i mean it is it is a shutout too but like but how okay shutout, so i think team like that it was a team shutout like the but Cubs it was also a team no hitter it was however nah. many pitchers it was three or four i believe who who all got through their outings without giving up a hit yeah I don't it like just it. happened to happen in one game i don't like it um i think i like it less than the 17 game nfl season but uh I'll get back well, the 17-game NFL season is just... A, I mean, I, I don't have... I, I don't know why I'm about to have a football take, because I, I genuinely don't <laughs> care, but, like... Uh-huh. 
I'm ready yeah, for this. It's, it's, just, it's just like 16 is a nice even number. Yeah. 17 is stupid. Nobody likes the number well, 17. 18 is coming. Like, that's what's going to happen. Like, we're just oh, no, gonna eventually we're going to get a like bit. a 60 game NFL season <laughs> where they play football literally around, like, round, like year round. I we're hope definitely going to get that at some point. I hope not. Football is a delight because it's limited. Um, last thing, John Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers, they are noted as mm-hmm. the best potential trio of starting pitchers down there in Miami. Would you rank them? this trio as the top young trio in baseball or do you have someone else above them that's a good question i mean when healthy if if he hadn't blown out his elbow i think bueller urias uh dustin may is probably up there too but that's also that's now a duo at this point although josiah gray looks very good so that might be a trio again um hmm yeah that's i'm i'm like yeah, because Lance Lynn isn't young, so I would have said Giolito, Rodone. But that's they don't really have a third young guy, which I know it's kind of splitting hairs at a certain point. But because Dylan Cease is not is not there yet, and Rodone is—I mean, he's 28. So that's not old, but he's you know he's he's already he's been around. Um. Yeah, I mean. I guess the the I guess the other I, I should have thought of them first would be Milwaukee, mm. uh, with Corbin Burns and with Brandon Woodruff and with Freddie Peralta. That's a really good trio, um, and all of those guys are under thirty. So that's probably the con- the other contender there is is what Milwaukee has going, um, and I guess. I would say San Diego, but Darvish is not young. Uh, Snell has not been good. Paddock has been okay. Joe Musgrove has been okay. Has been good actually. I think that's another team where if if and when Mackenzie Gore figures it enough out to get called up, and if D- Denilson Lamette is not seriously hurt, that's another contender. But I think right now, yeah, it's probably Milwaukee or Miami. It's just a matter of how how you like your ingredients basically, because Milwaukee's obviously about tons and tons of strikeouts. Um, Alcantara, Lopez, Rogers, less so. I mean, they get plenty of strikeouts, but they're not they're not huge strikeout guys. Alcantara's got the power sinker. Rogers has a really nice changeup. So does Pablo Lopez. You know, it's it's a lot of deception and it's a lot of weak contact for for what's going on in Miami. I don't I don't I don't think you can go necessarily wrong with either. I think the upside is probably higher with Burns, Woodruff, Peralta. But definitely, I mean, the other thing is, like, you look at, I did not realize this, that Alcantara Lopez are both 25, Rodgers is only 23. You got those guys for a while down there in Miami. Like, they should be good for a good long while. So, I don't know, you, I don't, obviously you cannot go wrong with either, but I think it's, I think it's a definitely an interesting debate as to if you were to kind of ask, I would love to see, actually, ask, ask general managers around the league, if you could pick any, if you could pick between your choice of Milwaukee's young, three young starters and Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta, or... Lopez, Rogers, Alcantara, Miami. Who would you choose? I would love to see what the what the results of that poll would be. That would be interesting. I I don't know. What would you guess? I would guess Milwaukee just because of the strikeout upside. But I mean, I know they're obviously. I, I don't know the the full contract situations for everyone, other than no one is making anything approaching serious money. I guess that's the other thing is how far everyone is from arbitration, how much team control. But that stuff is boring, and I don't care about that. <laughs> stuff wise, I imagine GMs are probably going to say the Milwaukee trio, but. Man, Alcantara, Lopez, Rogers—that ain't no joke over there. No, 
it's not. All right, John. Well, that's all I've got on this Tuesday afternoon of the podcast. Uh, is there anything you would like to plug as we wrap up here today? Just the usual. Come on over to Fangraphs. We are still Fangraphsing. Uh, mm. Sign up for a membership. Help us stay alive. Uh, especially now that we're a month out from the trade deadline, things are going to be getting heavier and hotter over there. Going to be getting very sexy and sensual indeed with all the trade deadline roundup stuff. We'll have takes on every deal as it happens. Obviously, we got a take today that just went out on that Blue Jays-Marlins trade, if you want to read Ben Clemens, on uh, what's a pretty marginal move, but still has some interesting facets to it. So, yeah, come on down to Fangraphs. We're, we're, we're baseball. There you go. There you go. All right, John Taylor. Well, we can find you at Taylor on Twitter.com. And if you like listening to John and I talk baseball on this very podcast every single Tuesday, uh, stop on by every Tuesday. It will be right there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. But if you are... A podcast, a Apple podcast listener, please leave us a five-star rating interview and tell us what you like about listening to John and I talk about Major League Baseball every single week. John, thank you as always, good sir, and uh, I will talk to you next week, my friend. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.